Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us this week and ready to study the Bible some, and that's what we do each week for those of you that are new to the program, we just answer viewers' questions and hope that that helps all of us know our Bible a little bit better. So we've got a phone number and a website at the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us, uh, whatever's on your mind or maybe something you've already always wondered about. Does the Bible really say that? Uh, we'll try to find an answer for any of your questions, Bible-related or life-related for that matter. Uh, see what the Bible has to say about it. So give us a call or log on and let us know what you'd like us to talk about on Know Your Bible. Introduce my partner here, Toby Levering. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Glad you're back and ready to go. And we've got a number of good ones like we always do each week. Uh, but we always start with one for the viewing audience, see if they know a little bit of Bible knowledge. This one is, Who Asked Jesus to Do His First Miracle? first miracle that Jesus did. Somebody requested it, and uh, we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program. See if you got it right. All right, looks like Toby got the first one today, so start us off. Uh, someone wants to know about a certain prayer. Where in the Bible is the serenity prayer, they ask? Well, uh, the serenity prayer is uh, actually a, a pretty, I thought, pretty nicely written prayer, and you probably have heard of it or seen it. I uh, know that uh, I believe Alcoholics Anonymous will utilize this sometimes. Uh, this is it. I'll put it on the screen, and uh, you've, if you haven't, don't know exactly what it is, you'll recognize it probably. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Well, I think that's pretty well written. Um, don't know who wrote it uh, or the origin of it, but I do know that it's not found in the Bible. Uh, although it, uh, courage and uh, wisdom and serenity, uh, those are uh, courage and wisdom certainly. Serenity we might call peace. Those are biblical concepts, uh, but we don't ever find that Bible, any, uh, that prayer rather, anywhere in the scriptures, either the Old Testament or the New. Uh, but that's what it is, and it's not in the Bible. Alrighty. A lot of things like that that mm -hmm. people assume came from the Bible. It seems and, uh, kind of biblical, yeah, just on the surface. Perfectly uh, good biblical principles, yep. but not in there. All right, second question for the day is, if viewer wants to know, I've uh, been reading John 5.28, and that talks about our bodies being risen from the grave uh, at Judgment Day. And the viewer says, well, why do we need our bodies when our spirit's already in heaven? All right, so... Got our spirit there. What do we need a body for? Um, I used to work in the business world, and sometimes people would ask me questions, and I'd say, that's above my pay grade. Uh, meant I, I wasn't cleared for that kind of information. And uh, this is one of those that's above my pay grade. What we need in heaven, uh, I don't know what we'll need in heaven. And that's what this viewer wonders. What do we need a body for? Uh, it's what God says is going to happen. So... 
God's got it figured out. I think it'll work out just fine somehow. And he must think uh, we need our bodies of some sort in heaven. So I don't know why we need them. I don't know what God's plans are. I think maybe part of our viewers' uh, question comes from the fact the way we picture heaven. We're not told much about heaven and what it's going to be like and all that. Uh, and people kind of picture heaven. The artists draw it as, you know, a bunch of clouds and people floating around with angel wings or uh, some kind of a spiritual kind of hazy realm. Uh, the Bible says God's going to create new heavens and a new earth. Uh, it's probably going to be a lot more physical than we think about it usually. Uh, we are going to have a body. Now, it's going to be a different kind of body, but it's going to be a resurrection body and I thought maybe this would help our viewers a few verses in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul's describing it or talking about it and the whole chapters about people wondered if there was going to be a resurrection and he explains that yes the dead are going to be raised to life and then he get, he knows what their next question is going to be so he says in verse 35 of 1 Corinthians 15 he says but someone will ask how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And he says in verse 30, then he makes a picture of planting a seed. And he says, what you plant is different than what comes up. And uh, the way he says that, to each kind of seed, God gives its own body. And then in verse 42, listen to this, he says, so it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it's raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, it's raised in glory. It's sown in weakness, it's raised in power. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. So, Paul explains to the church in Corinth that the bodies are going to be raised. They're going to be different, they're going to be spiritual, they're going to be immortal, they're going to be beautiful and perfect uh, and a spiritual body, but it's going to be a body of some sort. So, I think we can count on that and look forward to it. It's going to serve some kind of purpose, but I can't tell you why we need bodies in heaven. <laughs> One of those questions that we'll know when we get there, yep, maybe. It'll all make sense. At some point. Uh, the viewer uh, put, submits the next question, and it is, what does testament mean? Uh, well, testament is probably a word that we use fairly often, and perhaps Steve and I don't even give much thought to it because we use it so often. But for uh, uh, someone who comes to the Bible, uh, one of the most uh, words that you're almost immediately introduced to is this word testament. Um, if you have a, a Bible in front of you at home, you have a, a place where about two-thirds of the way through, there's this page usually in most translations that says the New Testament. And at the beginning of the book of Genesis, there's a page in there that says the Old Testament. Now, those weren't inspired by God, but they were put there by the, the people who assembled it to let us know that there's two different testaments. Well, your question then is, what is a testament? And that's a, that's a good question to ask as you begin to become familiar with your Bible, because I think it's very important to understand what it means. Found a definition uh, from the good old Webster, and uh, they defined it in the archaic definition as a covenant between God and the human race. Uh, when it's capitalized, it's either of the two main divisions of the Bible. A second definition is a tangible proof or tribute, an expression of Okay, 
So uh, this is important for us to understand that this uh, idea of covenant probably best defines the word testament. A covenant is an agreement uh, between two parties, between God and man. Now, um, many, many people uh, just take the Bible as uh, one covenant, as one testament, but there's really two. Uh, the first was his covenant, the old, what we call, sometimes called the old covenant, uh, with, between he and the nation of Israel, his people. And those laws and those commands and every, all those instructions applied toward them. Uh, and as they were in relationship with God, taught them how to worship, taught them how to live, taught them all of the rules and the regulations. Uh, the, the issue with that is uh, that, that no matter how they tried, it was impossible to keep perfectly the entirety of that testament, of that covenant. And so we needed a Savior. And that's where the story of that Savior begins in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And as we learn about this Jesus who came in, he said, I did not come to abolish this part, but to fulfill it, to keep perfectly that which no one had ever been able to do. And so that, that fundamental difference is crucial to our understanding of the word. So when we, uh, under Christ, what we are, uh, sometimes I've heard the phrase uh, New Testament Christianity. And what's that simply saying? It's kind of redundant, but it, it's saying that we are under a new and better covenant, as the Hebrew writer would say. Uh, it, it's, it's been the old covenant was fulfilled through Christ. So we don't have to worry about keeping all that perfectly. We, we have to do is abide and obey and be faithful to and follow Christ. So the different that the word testament means a covenant or an agreement. And between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there's a, a very crucial difference. So as we look at the at the parts of the Bible which apply to our lives today and which we're to live under, we're of course going to be looking under the New Testament. Now, does that mean we don't believe in the Old Testament, that we can just pull it out of our Bible and, and disregard it? No, no, no. Uh, the scripture, in, in fact, in the New Testament, uh, Paul says that the things that were written in the past were written to teach us that through the endured encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. There are powerful lessons that we learn uh, in the story between God and his people. But the covenant we live under today is the new covenant of Christ, which is the new and better covenant. Uh, let's look at Romans chapter 7, verse 6. Uh, Paul writes here, But now, by dying to what once bound us, we have been released from the law, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So a testament is a, a binding co a covenant between two parties, and there are two major ones within the Bible. There's a lot more smaller ones, but the major ones are the old and the new, and we're under the new one today. All right, a good ex explanation there. And I got to think, probably a lot of our viewers think, well, I know what the old and the new testament are, and why do you spend so much time on that? But if you're not familiar with what those mean, like Toby just explained, uh, it's one of the biggest hindrances to understanding your Bible that there is if you don't know the difference between the old and the new. Absolutely. Uh, and I don't know, I guess we could calculate how, what percentage <laughs> of our questions that we get uh, come from that, a misunderstanding That's right. of that break between the old and the new. Yep. Uh, and the Bible correspondence course that I'm going to advertise here in just a second, uh, that's where it starts. And I mention that usually 
a lot of times on it when we go through the, the, the Bible correspondence course and what it's about. It starts with the Old and the New Testament. If you don't understand that, you're going to have a hard time with the rest of it. So, uh, very important what Toby just explained there. Let me explain the course that we offer. Uh, it's the way that uh, you can learn more of your Bible, and we've got some free materials that we'll send you. Uh, lots of ways to study the Bible. Uh, some people are able to just sit down and start reading in Genesis and uh, read all the way through and get a lot of good out of it. Uh, some people just get bogged down on that and can't quite keep it up or they don't understand this or that. Uh, we've got some courses that uh, we think are very helpful. Uh, the first one is the one you see on the screen here. It's just eight lessons in it. Uh, they're very they're not complicated or hard. They're pretty quick and easy. Uh, but they teach you a lot. And there's the first two lessons, actually the first three. The first two are the Old Testament and the New Testament. And then the third one is about rightly dividing the Word. you got to understand the difference between the Old and the New. So that's where the course starts. Explains it very well. You'll learn a lot about the Old and the New and who wrote both of them and uh, when they wrote them and what the themes of them are. Uh, great introduction to the Bible and we've had thousands of people take us up on it over the years and let us know that they learned a lot about the Bible. So if you're interested in learning a little bit more about your Bible, Give us a call or log on. Tell us you'd like that free course. We'll get it started for you. All right. I've got one about a parable and what's it mean? The a parable about the old and the new cloth and the old and the new wineskins. A viewer says, what's that mean? Well, set the stage for just a moment before we go back and read the verse he's talking about. Jesus was asked about fasting was what the chapter's about in Mark chapter 2. And the Pharisees wanted to know why he and his disciples didn't fast like the custom was, the tradition was. And one of the things he told them was found here in Mark chapter 2 verse 18. I think I made a typo on it and called it Mark 8, but it's Mark chapter 2. Uh, correct that on your notes. And Jesus said, no one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And then he goes on and talks about nobody puts new wine in old wineskins. Well, both of those pictures uh, picture something that doesn't fit, that doesn't work together. Uh, we don't patch clothes much anymore. We just throw them away and buy new ones, or actually we buy new ones that need patching. Uh, people buy jeans with holes in them these days um, for some reason, <laughs> but they do. Uh, but in Jesus' day, they patched things so they, wouldn't, they could get more use out of them. And what Jesus is saying, you don't take a brand new piece of cloth and put it on an old worn garment because the first time you wash it, uh, it the patch will shrink up and it won't fit. It won't, it won't look right. And the same thing with wine. Old wineskins got hard and brittle, and new wine expanded when it was fermenting. Uh, so he said, you don't put new wine in an old wineskin or it'll break the wineskin. You put new wine in a new wineskin and the wineskin will expand with it. They fit. They go together. So that's what his answer was. Why don't you and your disciples fast? He said, well, it doesn't fit with what's going on right now. Uh, he said, I'm on earth and we're, we're celebrating. There's no reason to fast. 
so that's all that means is it just doesn't fit together. And of course, we've become that's become kind of a, a slogan or a saying these days. You don't put a old patch on a, or new patch on an old garment. You don't put new wine in old wine skins. It just doesn't fit. Doesn't go together. So that's all Jesus meant by that. Okay. Uh, the next question submitted is from a viewer who wants to know very simply, what are the Dead Sea Scrolls? Perhaps you've heard us mention them on this program or you've heard them uh, mentioned in, in your study of the Bible. Uh, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls were a real discovery made in 1947, uh, 70 years ago, and uh, they are about a little over 850 or so scrolls. Uh, found in some caves, uh, a, a series of about 11 caves along the northwest corner of the Dead Sea. So the Dead Sea Scrolls and uh, the caves appear to have been an uh, uh, ancient sort of library or an archive of, some, of an ancient Jewish or possibly a Christian sect, we're not for sure, uh, hiding from Roman during the Roman destruction in about 70 A.D., and uh, when they was, were discovered in 1947, uh, basically the scrolls were determined to be the original scrolls of that of, of around the first century, uh, which was an amazing discovery because all of the archaeological uh, origins of uh, this book that we had had to that point were at least a thousand years older uh, than what the scrolls were in this cave. So it was very interesting They, as they uh, carefully, of course, uh, took these scrolls and opened them and examined them and determined what they were. Uh, they found out that they contained uh, basically fragments uh, or parts of every single Old Testament book that we have, except for the book of Esther. And uh, some of the scrolls included copies of entire books, including the book of Isaiah, uh, and the book of Deuteronomy, and the book of Psalms. Uh, and what they learned from that is exactly how accurate uh, the biblical translations we had in 1947 and even up to now, how accurate those were. There were very uh, few differences in the text translation uh, between what uh, they had at in 1947 versus what they the scrolls that they found so it encouraged them uh, scholars that the Bible uh, had changed just uh, almost zero uh, in terms of what they had and the changes that they the differences that they found in the scrolls between uh, those found in the caves and those they had at that time uh, were just uh, minute. They're almost insignificant. So it should encourage us and strengthen our faith as we uh, study this book and as we read it, and certainly, most importantly, as we apply it. Uh, we need to know that these are ancient words. There's a song that says, They're ancient words ever true. Uh, just because they're ancient uh, doesn't mean that they don't apply today. In fact, in many ways, not only we know they're true, but they apply and give us instruction on how God wants us to live. So we can be encouraged by the Dead Sea Scrolls. If you're interested in that, you can do a lot more research and spend a lot more time. But the bottom line of it is, is that God's Word is as true as it has ever been, and all of that was confirmed by that discovery. Of course, we know that from what the Bible says itself about its own words. Jude chapter 3 says this, I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all 
entrusted to God's holy people. What was written then applies now and hasn't changed very much over time. All right, I've got a question about Hebrews 6, chapter verses 4 through 6. Viewer just says, explain it. Uh, it's talking about losing our salvation and it wants an explanation there. Uh, all right, let me, before we talk about losing salvation, let me just clarify what we believe on that because we get a lot of questions from people that have been taught once saved, always saved, and uh, they don't believe it's possible to lose your salvation. Uh, in one sense, we believe it's not possible to lose your salvation, just to wake up one morning and it be gone or to have somebody steal it from you. In fact, there's a very clear verse that says that, Romans chapter 8. Let's look at that together. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39, Paul said, I'm convinced uh, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, I, we believe that. There's nothing uh, that can separate us, that can take that away from us, that can take us away from God. But what that verse doesn't say is that it's impossible to walk away, uh, to forfeit salvation. And when the Bible talks about falling from grace and losing salvation, that's what it means. There are some people that have done that. The New Testament's full of warnings against that. Uh, the New Testament's got examples in it of people that did that. And that's one thing that the book of Hebrews is written about. Uh, Paul, is, or the writer of Hebrews, I always say Paul because I think maybe he wrote it, but we really don't know who wrote it. Whoever wrote Hebrews uh, was telling the Jews to hold on to their salvation and to stay trusting in Christ, uh, to don't give that up. And he says in chapter 6, he's talking about people that do that. So verses 4 through 6 is a classic illustration of people who do walk away from Christ and choose to go back into the world. Uh, and what he says there is it's impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age, if they fall away, to be brought back to repentance because to their loss they're crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting him to public disgrace. So what our viewers are wondering about there is it says it's impossible for them to be brought back. Uh, I think if you read the first part of the chapter, uh, what Paul says is don't keep teaching the basics of the Christian faith uh, to those kind of people because that's not going to work. It's impossible if they decide after really being a Christian and seeing what it's about, if they decide, no, I'm going to walk away from that. Uh, you can't tell them the basics of Christianity and change their mind. They're going to have to find out, decide by themselves that the world uh, and is a mess and God's way is better. And they can come to repentance. As long as you're alive, you can come to repentance. But it's impossible to convince them, to make them come back with basic teaching, I think is what Paul's, or the writer of Hebrews is saying. Uh, so that's what it's talking about, an example of people that have walked away, that have been Christians and understand Christianity and then decide they're going to go back to the world. And Paul says that's a really bad situation. So uh, 
hopefully that ex explains it a little bit. It's a, we could talk a long time about it, but that's the basics of it. Let me take this moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, we like to mention some each week, one or two, that uh, support this program. And occasionally we even mention the home church of Know Your Bible. Uh, that's the Northside Church of Christ up on North Meridian in Wichita. Uh, if you live in the Wichita area or you're just passing through on vacation or something, maybe plan your trip to stop by on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock. Uh, Toby and I will both be there usually, and we're happy to meet all of our viewers and always have a few visitors from our audience, and we're happy to have you as guests. So drop in, visit us sometime. Uh, if you're looking for a home church, great congregation of God's people, uh, you'd find something there that helps you in your life, I think. So visit the Northside Church of Christ or any Church of Christ, whatever viewing area you're in. Uh, there's a Church of Christ near you that supports this program and helps us stay on the air. All right, Toby. All right. Uh, speaking of questions we can spend a lot of time on, uh, someone wants to know where dinosaurs on the ark. Obviously, I cannot answer this question with firsthand knowledge, uh, but what we're looking at is the biblical understanding. Genesis chapter 6 is what tells us about that. Genesis 6, 19, uh, the scriptures say this, You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures male and female, to keep them alive with you. So uh, in my reading of that, I would say dinosaurs fell under all living creatures. Now, were they full size? Uh, what uh, 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 part uh, were the younger dinosaurs or all of that? Uh, the scriptures do not say. Um, and that's kind of how I view it because it says all living creatures. Some people believe that that was the flood that was stored, destroyed most of them and that a few of the species may have gone onto the ark and survived, uh, but they were uh, much smaller. Now, the obvious question is, could that possibly have happened? Dinosaurs are huge. Well, not all dinosaurs were huge, and the dimensions of the ark were pretty significant. If we pay attention, uh, Genesis 6.15, which is not on the screen, but it tells us that, uh, that Noah's ark was 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. If we can go back to that slide, uh, that kind of gives you some uh, other dimensions in relation to Noah's ark. So it's longer than a 747, a little bit shorter than the Titanic, uh, but it was uh, significant. Could have held about 522, by some estimation, railroad stock cars, of course, depending on how it was designed. So the ark was a significant size, and there's the famous ark museum in Williamstown, Kentucky, which I believe is a life-size reconstruction of that, and uh, it, it is impressive. I've never been there personally, but just to see the pictures, it is impressive. So were they on the ark? Probably. Uh, and uh, what happened to them after that? Not quite sure. But uh, <laughs> anyway, that's uh, the best I can do in a minute. All righty. Thank you. <laughs> that, it, was, it was a big boat. It wasn't as big as the Titanic, but it was no. better engineered. Yeah, than the absolutely. Titanic. Yeah, it, it, uh, it stayed it afloat. <laughs> Which is key. <laughs> yeah, that'll be on the list of questions we got. Tell us exactly how that was on the ark. Noah can explain that to us. Uh, it would have been quite a sight, and uh, you, you mentioned what size they were and all that. It, it did. Somebody suggested once that you know all you need is babies. Yep. You don't need two full-size full T-Rexes, you, yep. <laughs> you can have a few babies and get by just fine. So anyhow, let's take time to answer our trivia question before we quit for the day. And we ask, who asked Jesus to do his first miracle? Well, no wonder he did it. It was his mother who asked him to do it. Uh, Mary said, it's time, I want you to do this miracle. And Jesus said, ah, it's not time yet, but 
I'll do it anyway. So he did. We're glad you've been with us today, and we're going to be back next week trying to answer some more of your questions. Hope you come back then and help you know your Bible a little better. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.